Welcome to the No Fear Podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas, and this is your No Fear Word of the Day. The Bible tells us to have courage, to be not afraid, or to have no fear in one way or another 365 times. And the point of this podcast is to offer God's Word as a daily dose of courage during this 21st century health crisis. We are going to push a little deeper today because some sobering numbers were released this week. The death toll for the COVID-19 crisis in the United States has now passed the death toll for the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. You know, that's just heartbreaking news. As this pandemic continues, the circle of tragedy just gets smaller and closer for each of us. So it's important for us to think about what we believe about life, disease, about death, and even eternal life. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, we learn that Lazarus died. Of what, we don't know. All we know is that he was, quote, ill, unquote. Now, Jesus did not arrive on the scene until four days after Lazarus had died. Martha, Lazarus' sister, met him on the road. And you know what? She was mad at him. To paraphrase the Greek, Lord, if you were here, then my brother would not have died. But you weren't here, so he did. Why, God, didn't you save him? Why didn't you do something? Jesus answered her by saying, Your brother will rise. And then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die die. Then he asked her a very stern, if not pointed question. Do you believe this? What did Jesus mean by what he said and then by what he asked the sister of Lazarus? Jesus says first, I am the resurrection. His claim and promise is that even though our souls are separated from our bodies in death, that one day when Christ comes again, All those who have trusted him with their lives will be raised again and will be restored, not just in soul, but body and soul, to live once again as new whole persons, a new body and a new life in a remade world. But Jesus wanted us to have comfort, too, about what happens next. And so Jesus adds, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is a real place, as real as San Antonio, with real people where we will go where, while our spirits are separated from our bodies and when we depart this place. But our belief in heaven is not just about a place. It's a belief about people. Heaven is not just about where we are. It's also about whom we are with. You know, whenever I call my children on their cell phones and ask where they are, most of the time they'll say, I'm with mom. 
Now, isn't that an interesting answer? I asked them a geography question, and they give me a people answer. They don't say, I'm at the grocery store. They say, I'm with mom. And you know what? That's okay. That's a satisfactory answer. Because sometimes it's more important to know whom we are with than where we actually are. Until Christ returns and we are raised in the resurrection, those who have died in Christ are with him. They're with him in his eternal presence. One of the most encouraging promises of the life to come is that we will see Christ and we will see the Father face to face. But in addition to that, we'll also get to see our loved ones face to face. Heaven is not a place populated by strangers, but by friends and grandparents and parents and children and ancestors. And when you arrive, your eyes will confirm what your heart has hoped, that the people you love really are happy, healthy, restored, and whole. You know, we all have someone that we want to meet or see again. It makes me feel good to know that I will be able to say things that I wish I'd said, that I'll be able to finish conversations that I wish I had finished, that I will never run out of time to spend with those that I love. And so that's why it's important that Jesus said not only that he's the resurrection, but he's also the life. At that point, though, I don't know if Martha was really able to hear him. I don't know if she could really hear the truth he was speaking or if she could really hear the promises of God that he was making because she was hurting. She was grieving the death of her brother. She was angry with Jesus, and she was pushing him for answers. Why wasn't he here? He could have saved her brother. Why wasn't he here? Why didn't he make it in time? And as she was pushing him with these questions, Jesus pushed back with a question of his own. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now, why did Jesus push her with this question at a time like this? Why didn't he just comfort her or hold her hand? Was he testing her? It seems like a rude time to be questioning her faith. Perhaps he was helping her to actually find her real faith, where the rubber meets the road, the faith that is real right now, or it never existed. Do you believe this? Jesus pushed Martha because he wanted her to ask herself, Do I really believe this? In the face of death, either our own or in the death of someone we love, do we really believe that Jesus has the power over death? Do we really believe that for ourselves? Or is it something that we just say until life goes dark? At this moment, Jesus wanted Martha, and he wants us to understand two things. First, that the Son of God is not oblivious to the pain. He's not oblivious to the grief we feel here and now whenever somebody dies. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Apostle John wrote what he saw. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the whole Bible. 
And it's the only one that many of my friends ever memorized when they were told that they had to memorize a verse for Sunday school. But through that verse, we see straight into the heart of God. Through those two words, Jesus wept. We understand that God does not take our suffering lightly. Jesus knows how much suffering hurts. He knows how much grief hurts. And he cried bitterly with them and shared their pain. Second, Jesus wanted Martha to know that the Son of God has power over death, here and now, and not only in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise. This wasn't a far-off prediction. It's a proclamation that Christ's power is present now. Abundant life begins now. He wasn't going to come all of this way just to fix Lazarus or give him a band-aid. He was going to raise him from the dead. He wanted her to understand that God doesn't just want to make our same life, the old life, just a little better, to adjust us a little here and fix a little problem there. He wants to give us new life. We don't worship a God of rehabilitation. We worship a God of death and resurrection. He is the living Lord who raises dead men to new life. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. We have to lose everything we have before we realize how lost and how dead we are. The Danish philosopher-theologian Soren Kierkegaard once said, God creates out of nothing, and everything which God is to use, he first reduces to nothing. Jesus is not a fix-it man. He's not even a doctor who fixes people or keeps people from dying with intensive care. He is the living Lord who raises dead men to new life. Do you believe this? Whether or not she ever answered this question in her own mind or with her mouth, Martha responded with an unexplainable, barely detectable, unconscious step of faith. She had the tomb opened, the stone rolled away, With her words, she may have expressed anger and doubt. Remember, Lazarus was dead. He was not sick. He was not in a coma. He was dead. But with her actions, Martha acted on faith despite her doubts. You've heard about a faith to move mountains. But what about faith enough to open a grave? What Martha had was enough faith to give orders for the tombstone to be moved in spite of the doubt she felt. This is the leap of faith, that Martha had the tomb opened even though she thought in her own mind that the only thing that would come out would be the stench of death. Martha didn't know that only moments later her brother would walk out of that tomb. But Martha believed in the presence and the power of Jesus. And by that step, that leap of faith, she answered Jesus' question, Do you believe this? And she answered it with a resounding yes. Once she gave the order, Jesus prayed and the tomb was opened. The stench was nauseating. But then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And Lazarus walked away from his own funeral. 
The story of Lazarus is a story that tests our faith. I don't mean that it tests the believability of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead or the credibility of miracles. No, what I mean is that it challenges the limits that we put on God. It forces us to wrestle with our own notions of what God can do and what God will do. This is a passage that we often read at funerals. I've done a lot of funerals in my career as a pastor, and I've seen time and time again that no matter how we prepare ourselves for the passing of a loved one, death catches us unready. When the moment comes, it's like jumping into a cold swimming pool. No matter how many times we tell ourselves, it's going to be cold, it's going to be cold, it's going to be cold, the cold water still shocks us. No matter how long someone is sick or in the hospital, or how old they are, even if we know it's coming, death still shocks us. Whether in a pandemic or under the most peaceful of circumstances, death is hard to handle, especially the death of a loved one. In those funeral services, in the gathering of family and friends, I always read this promise of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just about happier, healthier living, or morality or traditions. It's a matter of life and death. If the Christian faith means nothing at a funeral, then it means nothing at all. All of the moral and inspirational lessons of Christianity are meaningless if Jesus is not really the resurrection and the life. Recently, I was reading some family history, and I came across the words from the tombstone of one of my ancestors, Elizabeth Stewart, who died in 1826. Her tombstone said this, Go home, my friends. Dry up your tears. I must be here till Christ appears. When he appears, I then shall rise and see you with immortal eyes. Do we still believe what my great-great-great-great-grandmother believed, literally? That he who believes in Jesus, though he may die, yet shall he live? Or have we gotten too worldly and sophisticated for that kind of thing? Do we live as people prepared to die and die as people prepared to live? We worship the death-defeating, life-giving, grave-robbing God. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? I hope you do, because this promise is for you and everyone who believes. Thank you for being with us again for this No Fear podcast. Please join us for this and our other daily podcasts throughout this COVID-19 crisis at fpcsanantonio.org. Until next time, I'm Bob Fuller of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas. Be not afraid. God is real, Jesus is alive, and the Holy Spirit is with us. God loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He has a position for you on His team and a place for you at His table.